His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and Christ Jesus through all, throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be God. Uh, thanks, Rachel. Um, I, I um, won't spend too long introducing our guest preacher today because many of you either know her from life around Durham or um, co-laboring with her in university stuff, uh, either locally or beyond locally. Um, I know Charlene from time at Duke Divinity School, and I know probably from the beginning, uh, I've known her as a friend, but also as a leader. She was our uh, student government leader there and, um, and like just made other people uh, better in, in that role. Um, and she continues to do that. I'm really excited for this coming season for her. Uh, she's starting at UNC Medical School in Chapel Hill via uh, online here shortly. Um, and just uh, couldn't be happier for uh, the ways that the Lord uh, will continue to establish the work of her hands. So uh, thanks for being with us today. And uh, so, so happy to, to hear from you and learn from you. Hey, good morning, y'all. Um, I don't have any slides, so I don't know if that makes a difference with, yeah, there you go. Um, I want to say, it's always a pleasure to be with y'all and always a gift to be invited to preach. I have a really sweet spot in my heart for Oak Church. And so thanks, Chris. Um, thanks for your friendship and your, your partnership. It's a true gift. So uh, I think the reality is COVID-19 has made it that every preacher can now put on their resumes that they are a televangelist. And so I wanna thank y'all for making my dreams come true. <laughs> and. Um, just because I think preaching is a very community type thing, there's a little bit of give and take. Uh, it's okay for you to talk back, but when you do it on mute, I just see your lips moving. So if, if you want to say amen or yeah or whatever, feel free to unmute yourself or stay unmuted if you're in an environment that isn't too loud because I appreciate the talk back. Otherwise, I'm just talking to my computer and to my windows. So uh, whatever, whatever you can give me, that's always good. So Amen. this morning we're diving into the Apostles' Creed. Uh, these are words that shape who we are and are a declaration of whose we are. 
if I'm honest, I was hoping to get uh, that Christ descended into hell because I think that that is a part of the Apostles' Creed that will preach in and of itself. You just got to say that, drop the mic, walk away, and it's like, yes. But when Chris said, <laughs> when Chris said uh, uh, the church and the community of saints, I was like, okay, that's fine. So here we go. Uh, the, the Apostles' Creed says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. Now, I've thought a lot about the church in the last few months. Uh, it's the place where I get to see my people, I get to be recharged, I get to worship, I get to hear some of my favorite songs and be encouraged. And communion, you can't forget about communion. To me, that's the height of the church service. I love breaking bread and drinking of the cup together as one body, uh, except for that one Sunday at my home church where someone decided to bring an jalapeno cheddar loaf. And we were all like running to find water during the last song. <laughs> but I love sharing in the life of Jesus with friends and reminding myself that there is and will always be room at the table for sinners and the unlikely. And so far as I live and breathe, that there will be space at the table uh, for someone like me. And since March, I haven't been in a physical church. I haven't had the opportunity to hit the reset button of marking my week and my life in such a way that the weeks feel different, that it's not just a day that ends in Y, but that Sunday is the beginning of something new and that I've been reminded of what it means to go into this world. But as much as I want to believe that the church is not just a thing that happens on Sundays, usually between 10 a.m. and lunchtime for me, uh, it's become this place, this institution. I'm struck by how what I believe about the church and what I live about the church are so small and not robust that even with a very expensive, a very expensive divinity degree, that I've somehow missed the point and reduced church to a place. Well, what is the church? So Ignatius of Antioch says this, uh, where Jesus Christ is, there is the holy Catholic church. And before I lose you, because some of us have baggage about what Catholic means or doesn't mean, like Catholic is not a reference to a denomination or a building, but rather it's a descriptor that, that dates back to the ancient church. It means the universal, the whole, the expansive body of Christ through space, through time, and over all ages. The Holy Catholic Church is a community of believers that have been gathered and scattered to affirm Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and rule in this world. The church is committed to living out that countercultural upside-downness that doesn't place its hope in powers and authorities, but places its hope in Jesus and Jesus alone, the one who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself even to death on a cross. That's the church. And I would say that the church is the testimony and witness and proclamation of God's marvelous work, both past, present, and future. But if I'm really honest, I'm finding that truth very hard to believe these days. When I read scripture and I read the church mothers and fathers, I see the witness of the saints of old, right? I've seen God do miraculous things. And yet when I look at the proclamation and witness of our future, I'm disappointed. 
Now, I believe for a long time that the church might lead the way on like tearing down dividing walls of hostility, uh, but I'm struck almost daily by the church's desire to hide in the basement while the world seems to be on fire. You better say that again. Now with COVID-19, right, and uh, these unprecedented times, the killings that seem to happen over and over and over again of black and brown men and women, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and George Floyd, just to name a few, right? The spewed racism and white supremacy that's perpetuated by our government and its policies, and the church's inability to respond robustly. My hope in the church as it is feels like it's waning. And I know that's not something that you want to hear your preacher say on a Sunday morning from the pulpit. But trust me, I just want you to walk with me a little longer. Now, uh, when Gushers, Gushers Fruit Snacks, the people who make uh, those little gummy things that are filled with sweet goodness, uh, when Gushers Fruit Snacks makes a statement against injustice and racism, declaring the dignity of Black lives, before many of the churches in America respond, there's a problem. When the protests and marches are devoid of those who claim to be followers of Jesus because they're not sure what to do or how to do it, there's a problem. Well, when the would rather sit in book discussions and Zoom conversations than engage the powers and principalities that seek to destroy the image of God in creation, <laughs> there's a problem. My God. Now, My God. I'm, I'm surprised by how slow the church has been. Instead, it's choosing to take its cues from the world. And, and I've prayed, right? Like, Lord, I don't know what your plans are, but the church looks and feels hopeless. The church looks and feels impotent. Lord, I trust you, but I'm not sure that I trust your Come people, on, Charlene. that I trust this body called the church, that I trust this communion of saints. It seems as though the church is trying to be PC and we're taking our cues from everyone else and everything else except you, Lord. My God. So I had to sit down to reflect and to reckon with this reality and my feelings. And sadly, I, I think that this is a reality that many Christians and people who are observing Christians are wrestling with right now. You know, people keep saying that during the civil rights movement, it was the church that led this movement. And now we're looking at the church like, wait, wh where are they? Mm. So this is a great week to dive into this conversation. It's about what we mean when we say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, that I believe in the communion of saints. What is the church and what is the point of the church? Now, preparing the sermon has been the thing that started to give me a little bit of hope uh, in the last few weeks because things have felt pretty hopeless. Uh, the, the church, I believe, has to be more than what it currently is. And we find these gems, these nuggets in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. It's both a charge and a challenge to the people of God. Paul says it beautifully, that God's intent was that through the church, the manifold multifaceted wisdom of God would be made known and revealed to the rulers, the authorities and the heavenly realms according to the purposes of Jesus. We don't usually hear those words together when we talk about church, but this is, this is the Bible, this is scripture, right? Paul says that the church exists to confront rulers and authorities with God's wisdom. 
Now, I suspect that confrontation isn't merely sitting and praying the headlines that are popping up in the news. I suspect that confronting rulers and authorities with God's wisdom isn't simply hosting lament sessions at every murder of Black life and releasing statements on our websites. Well, kitschy, catchy, this can't be it. Mm. And I suspect that it's not simply an emphasis on things getting better in another life where we continue to have these dreams of Revelation 7 and the church that exists there. That's good. That's our hope. That's the thing that that is before us. But until then, we can't carry on with business as usual. Mm. There is so that much again. more to being the church. And the church is being the wisdom of God on display. Now, I've said a lot, and sometimes I like to point to people that other people really trust. So I I'm going to quote N.T. right here, because I think he's got something for us. Uh, hey, use the <laughs> So rulers and authorities, both the earthly authorities and shadowy heavenly counterparts, always tend to create societies and social structures in their own flat, boring image, monochrome, Ooh. uniform, and one-dimensional. Worse, they tend to marginalize or kill people or groups that don't fit narrowly into their band of acceptability. He says this, the church is to be, by the very fact of its existence, a warning to them that their time is up and an announcement to the world that there is a different way to be human. He says the authorities and rulers tend to marginalize or kill people groups who don't fit their narrow band and that the church is called to warn them that their time is up, that there is a different way of being human. Now, by Paul's admonishment, uh, we're not doing a very good job of being the church. And T. Wright would say that as well. It sounds like we've just joined and normalized the broken social structures, hoping that one glad morning when this day is over, we'll just fly away. Woo! But I hope that this will be the kick in the pants that we need. The church is not an institution, but it's a living, breathing organism meant to stand in opposition to all that which seeks to raise its head against the created order of God and God's purposes. So how we practice these ancient practices, how we pray, how we worship, the elements that make up our gatherings, they matter. But how we challenge the powers and principalities of this world, how we stand against injustice, how we not give in to a lazy one-dimensional vision of this world as it is, this is what will mark the church. Come on, Shailene. I think that this is about our, ultimately, about our discipleship and formation. Yep, right? yep. How what we learn shapes us and actually moves us to action. I'm convinced that American Christianity these days loves to acquire knowledge. Woo! Intellectual but it doesn't seem to change the way that we live our lives. Mm. Or maybe our faith is so individualized that we don't see the grander ramifications for our communities. We're so worried about us and our families, about me and mine, without any thought for the created order in which God, God calls us all family. And I think, I've, I mean, we're, I don't know how many weeks we are into COVID, but we're centuries into America's anti-racism. I feel pretty tired of the book groups and the webinars and the caucuses. Come on. You know, that, Yo. that's... 
but the mark of the church is not a love of power or knowledge, but it's the power to love and to use the knowledge to prophetically declare the rule of God in word and in action. Yes. Jesus. Our inability to act is a failure of our own discipleship and our formation. Discipleship is us interrogating every aspect of our lives about counting the cost and bringing it under the Lordship of Jesus. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to shape us for our good and for the good of the world. It's not just what we're reading about being anti-racist. It's about interrogating every part of our life and laying it down sacrificially for the sake of the greater body and the family. Now, it's, it's not about voting in November, which is very important. You should vote, everyone should vote. It's also about what happens in the in-between, the small decisions around where you send your kids to school, how you choose where to live, who your friends are, and who your kids' friends are. It's about the authors that you read, where you choose to shop, those you choose to interact with knowingly and unknowingly, and how you treat them. And this, this one's for white people. It's about holding your family and your parents and your coworkers accountable for their racism and well, brokenness and not just avoiding them or avoiding the discussion. Mm. Getting the knowledge is just as important as being changed and transformed by that knowledge. It's kind of like the rich young ruler. I was talking with my friend Tia yesterday and she said, you know, it's, it's like when Jesus uh, says, to, to the rich young ruler in Matthew, I followed all of your laws, now what? Jesus says, well, sell all your possessions and follow me. Scripture says, well, he went away grieving because he had so many possessions. Mm -mm -mm. He had to weigh whether the sacrifice was worth the following after he had acquired all of this knowledge about Jesus. Well. I think the American church takes after the rich young ruler. We want to follow Jesus without sacrificing our comfort. Now, specifically for, I think, for white people in white churches, I think Ephesians 3 is a call to interrogate the historical power and privilege that has com been compounded over centuries and centuries that, that you've been given and figuring out what it means to follow Jesus. I think it's a call to suffering because interrogating and sacrificing are not easy. Knowledge is easy. But we seem to have a gap between knowing better and doing better. Paul says that the Christian way poses a decisive threat to the rule of evil, such a threat that he's in prison for it, that Paul is sacrificing for it. So there are a lot of ways that I believe the church isn't quite being the church. I have hope because I think that that's the core to our faith. But again, if I'm honest, I wonder whether we will make the transition to stand with Jesus in the face of authorities and powers that mar the image of God in creation. I wonder whether church attendance will continue to decline because of COVID and after months of this, no one will log on to Zoom meetings anymore because if we're honest, church was just a place. I wonder if the racism, injustice, and suffering uh, we will see will actually move us to not just sit at home and read and pray, but to join these voices in declaring the dignity of black and brown voices and lives. Will the church get out of bed with white supremacy and not be beholden to its desire to maintain a power that destroys and kills people and communities of color? 
I hope that the church will speak out against hate that's being perpetuated by our government. You know, why do we cringe when people say Black Lives Matter? Or why are we scared to acknowledge that the systems of policing in this country are broken and that those systems have to be held accountable and that there have to be a better way? I don't know, maybe the church as we know it will have to die to give birth to something new that accomplishes God's eternal purpose. Mm. There's hope, but that means that the church must be the church. When I look at the church, I don't see a suffering church, at least not, not, not the American church, right? We are a comfortable church. We are a PC church. We are a status quo church. We are not a suffering church. Mm. I think it's, it's time for us to do a deep dive into our personal and collective lives together, to hold ourselves accountable for what has been our terrible discipleship, for our sin, to interrogate our lives, to interrogate the life of the church and our community. What are the things that we are unwilling to part with, like the rich young ruler? Because if this passage in Ephesians 3 is, is truth, if it is the word of God, then the powerful thing that we are unwilling to part with is exactly what God might be calling us to sacrifice. What a witness that would be, especially after so many people have written off the church because they feel like it lacks relevance. And I'm not saying that our purpose is trying to be relevant, but I'm saying that scripture calls us more calls us to be more than what we are right now. So getting back to Ephesians 3, uh, Paul does a really beautiful job in reminding us that this can only be done in Christ by God and through the work of the Holy Spirit. In Christ through the church, God births in us an imagination that exceeds what this world could even lend us to believe. And this imagination refuses to put limits on the height, the width, the breadth, and the depth of God's love, God's vision, and God's calling for us. It says that our, our brains can't even comprehend it because it doesn't make sense. So what the church and communion of saints is supposed to look at and supposed to believe in is unfathomable to us. How the church survives speaking out against racism and injustice is beyond what we can comprehend. Because I think at the core of this is our fear that maybe we're gonna get it wrong, but God can do more than what we think. The communion of saints holding each other accountable to the work of discipleship personally and collectively as a body is the fullness of God. So I'm not sure what the church is gonna look like in six months, a year, five years from now, but I hope that it is a church that displays God's manifold, multifaceted wisdom and glory in every way. I pray that it is a community of saints that has counted the costs and said, yes, we will sacrifice it all. We will welcome suffering and it is for our glory. I pray that it is a church that will not just acquire knowledge, but that will be compelled to act out what we believe and how we believe it, knowing that we are called to do more than we could possibly imagine and think of. This is what it means when we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Catholic Church, and in the communion of saints, that this body that has been gathered and scattered is called to more than what we're doing currently.
And it's not just about doing, but it's about living out that calling and purpose in Christ. And that is our discipleship. So I'm going to just allow, you know, 60 seconds of silence and hope that even in this time, as we sit in the service, that you might interrogate your own life. What are the things, where is the place that God would have you to, to start? What is the thing that um, has so much power in your life that you're unwilling to let go of? How can you act justly and love mercy? Uh, how can you act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with God? And then I'll pray for us. God, we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Catholic Church and in the communion of saints. We believe that, God, your intent was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities. Help us to wrestle not just intellectually with this calling, but in word and deed and action. Help us to interrogate our lives and our life together for the places that you are calling us to suffer. And help us to take our discipleship and our formation seriously, knowing that you exceed our grandest imagination. May we not be comfortable or complacent, but active, confrontational, and transformed by you and your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.